keep us together, Roger. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Natty scene. We are here today for another episode like last time, just this time with a added bit of spice. We've got uh, Ben Howard on the line with me and Lee tonight, and we're going to be probably going into mostly training, uh, because I felt like that would be a really cool topic. Ben and Lee have got years and years of experience in the gym, training different different ways, making mistakes, learning from them, and uh, I feel like you guys can take a lot from this podcast. We have a lot of young listeners in the podcast that are probably in phases where they've made already some mistakes and they potentially can learn from from something of uh, these guys' experience, which, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would have loved a podcast like this when I was like 16, 17 years old. So hopefully we can provide that for you guys and give you a bit more lockdown content. You loved the last one and uh, I'm really sort of taken back. I'm sure Lee was as well by the, the feedback that we got and the, the views that are, that are on the podcast. Um, I, think, I think in total now, we're almost over 3,000 across all podcast providers. So um, Pretty good. It's a very, very solid episode. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to bring more. So I think first of all, let's go into a little bit of like starting at the, the back end again, like we sort of did with your story and generally. Let's um, let's take it back to when both you and Ben started training, and give us a little bit of an idea as to what that looked like for both of both of you in terms of where you were training, what what methodologies were you were you believing in, how did you find out how to train, those sort of things. I'll just let you uh, take away with a bit of story time as always. Hey, what do we do, Ben? Do we toss a coin to see who goes first? Yeah, I mean, since you started a good 20 years before me, why don't you start the story? <laughs> okay. Um, well, like I alluded to a little bit in the last podcast, um, I started in, in the bedroom at my mum and dad's house with um, a York barbell set and a flat and inclined bench with a leg extension on it. And my, my first training program, and it's, it's a really good place to start with this, my, my, fir- my very first training program, was the one that came on the poster that came with the weight set. And it was a three day a week, full body routine. Um, and, and I still think now that that full body three days a week, sticking to the basics is the most underutilized and, and the most um, least often maximized form of training that there is. Um, I, you know, I, I, I stuck with that for a long time. I, I went on later on to, do a two-way split and I know that's again quite popular now the, the whole upper lower split thing didn't really become a thing back then we we did different things I, I, I picked up a sort of chest back shoulders one day legs and arms the other day that was a, a Dorian Yates favorite I know other people did chest shoulders triceps one day with legs back and biceps on another day which was slightly brutal but yeah, but I mean, back then it was, you know, the pamphlet that came with the barbell set. And then I remember the first, I think, 10, well, it was the first nine episodes of Flex magazine that I ever bought. That was pretty much the only magazine that was in the paper shop. And you remember I said last week that I picked up the magazine on the way from the gym one day and, and opened it up and read it. And they had a 10-part uh, article in there called the Super Teen Series. But it was, it was geared around teenage bodybuilders. Uh, and I missed the first episode of that and never got my hands on it. But there were 
training plans and eating plans and stuff in there and I kind of stuck to that as the 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 bible and and, and kind of went from there and and I much the same as you know whatever, whatever town you're born in that that tends to be the football team that you end up supporting doesn't it you know apart from you know some you know if you're born in Coventry like or if you live in Coventry like Ben and I do you try and avoid our local team but you know, when when I got into bodybuilding, I I kind of gravitated towards our local hero, and of course that was Dorian. And uh, Dorian at the time was just about to compete in his second pro show, which was the '91 Night of the Champions, uh, where he won, and he was sponsored by a local supplement company that was Birmingham based as well, and 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 I, I kind of by default became a Dorian fan and it's probably the best thing I ever did because he's he's been one of the most fascinating and one of the most sort of thought provoking bodybuilders ever. Um and, and from there I've I've always, one way or another since those days, gravitated towards the the lower volume, higher intensity approach of training. And that, that was how it all started for me. Go on, over to you, Ben. No, that was good. And just out of interest, what was it like um growing up in that era? So you started training just as he was getting to the top. So what was it like? Yeah. Give us a bit of a... Oh, it was, I mean, th- those days were so different. I'm going to take my spectacles off, by the way, because I am mindful that the light's reflecting off them. But I wanted to keep on at the start of the uh, the podcast because I wanted to, as a special tribute to Dave Stracy, the former pres- uh, vice president of the UK, the FBA, I wanted to do my patented double-handed spectacle adjustment. There it is. Make it come off now. He kind of pointed out last week after watching the podcast that I, I slipped a couple of those in. So that one's for you, Dave. Um, <laughs> you, you can't take yourself too seriously, can you? Um, <laughs> when, I mean, Dorian, I knew nothing about bodybuilding at the time. I knew nothing about bodybuilding. I went from training in my bedroom to training in that little local leisure centre gym um, with you know the, the the local tough guys and you know sort of power bodybuilder types in there, and then through the the Flex magazine, I kind of got wind of the fact that you know there was this guy Dorian. He was over in Birmingham. Um, also, at the time, there was a franchise of Weeder Shops. Uh, people don't realise this that have only come along in the scene recently, and feeds back to what I said last week about you know. The, the whole machine that was underneath the IFBB and the Olympia, they had franchise shops and the, the nearest one was over in Birmingham. Uh, and you'll both know where it was uh, vaguely. It was just, uh, just across the road from Snow Hill Station, at the top end of Birmingham, near to um, the, the Rackhams and Pigeon Park at the top of Birmingham. Um, and and I, I went over there to buy my first supplements. I used to hop on the train and and go over to Birmingham and go into the shop and buy my supplements from there. And and, and obviously the, the guy that ran the shop at the time, a guy called Robert Blakeman, who looked a lot like Sylvester Stallone, so he got the nickname Rocky. Um, he was a competitive bodybuilder on the, on the local level as well. I think he was a friend of Dorian's, so there were pictures of him on the wall. And then when Is he... It- I saw, I saw something about him the other day. I think he's in prison now. Who, Rocky Blakeman? I think so. 
Wasn't he a Rocky impersonator as well? Is he the guy that trained at Temple with Dorian? Yes, that's yeah. the, that, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. He ended up, when the whole Weeder franchise thing disappeared, he ended up um, opening a top of, a kind of one-on-one personal training studio, but it was very high-intensity, Mike Mensery, you know, heavy-duty, bodybuilding-orientated personal training, which was in the mm. same place. It was on uh, Snow Hill, Queensway. Mm. Um but yeah, it was all it was all just this big alien world. There was no there was no internet, there was no looking at you know, you didn't feel like you knew anything about anything. And you know, you walk into this shop and there was a guy behind the counter who probably, you know, walked around at about fifteen stone, who to me at the time was an absolute giant, you know, he was a, a mass monster of a guy. Whereas now, with with the greatest respect to him, you, you realise that his 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 physique would be 10 a penny in a bodybuilding gym, but I didn't train in one. I didn't know. Um, and it was, it was just this massive, big open playground of discovering new stuff all the time. And you'd learn stuff when it was given to you rather than just accessing it all from a, 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 you know, a fingertip touch on your keyboard or whatever. And it was, it was really exciting. It was, it was very easy to get engulfed in it um, and constantly go out of there and look for knowledge and, look for ways to learn new stuff um yeah it was it's weird to think back to those days now it really is just fast forward and sorry carry on just to touch on that lee before we move on and i maybe forget what i wanted to ask obviously nowadays especially for me even since i started bodybuilding in about 2013 2014 the accessibility of information is is vast and you can just search bodybuilding and you can probably get millions of results on Google and you could hashtag bodybuilding and find millions of posts on Instagram. Um, what do you think if, if you were, you know, growing up in this era now, do you think that that would be a positive? Do you think you'd, you'd learn things quicker and get to where you need to be in terms of effectiveness quicker? Or do you think that for now, it's for younger people, it's maybe a little bit more confusing and a little bit more of a minefield in terms of finding their right way uh, to both enjoy and progress with, with training? Um, oh, easy question to answer. I think it's a minefield. I think it's too confusing. I think it encourages people to run before they can walk. Um, like I say, you know, that, that poster, that A3 size poster that went up on my bedroom wall with the eight or nine different exercises on it, you know, do three sets each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's a great foundation. And, you know, you, you couldn't give that to somebody now and tell them to work off that. Um, that, that they want to go on to, you know, specific, really advanced programs far too quickly. And, and somebody gave me uh, quite a good euphemism metaphor, metaphor back in, uh, back in my early days, is if you took up skiing today... And I don't know much about skiing, but I know ski slopes are color-coded by how difficult they are. Um, you know, if I gave you a pair of skis today and showed you the basics, you wouldn't head for the black slope. Um, and it's true. It's true. There's, there's no way that you would pick up any other sport or any other pursuit and expect to be operated at expert level within weeks or months. But with bodybuilding... Everybody wants to complicate things way too quickly. And I think the, the bigger the pool of information you've got to dip in, 
the more tempted you will be by human nature to do that. Just get your thoughts on that, Ben, as well. Yeah, um, completely agree. So, I mean, yeah, it's just like if I wanted to run a marathon, I, I can't even run a 5K. But if I was to run a marathon, the last thing I'd do is the last 12 weeks before marathon training. Um, but it seems to be that from day one, people want to do Mr. Olympia's split. That He's been training 30 years. It's, it's, a, it's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that in any, anything. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's exactly where I started as well. Um, full body training. I, I trained every day. I had lightly had some weights in my bedroom, didn't know anything about it, didn't even take it too seriously, just knew I enjoyed it. Um, so just throwing around dumbbells every day, two or three hours in an evening, you know, um, but it wasn't strenuous, you know, there was no squatting, no deadlifting, nothing, nothing like that. And as soon as I moved to a gym, like realized that these exercises done properly, intensely, tear you down you know and since then really i've never really trained more than three days per week um with lee's guidance as well you know as soon as i started to stray away and then you know you always ask me why lee i was oh even after you know the worlds i was like you know i'm gonna try and you know train four or five days a week and it doesn't last more than about a month and then i just revert back to the the old faithful which is three hard heavy training days no no easy days no arm days no fluffy you know shoulder and you know or chest even on its own it's, it's hard training full uppers full lowers or full body yes it's, it's interesting you say that sort of the full circle are coming back to a split that you always love yeah because that's something that i've actually found quite recently since reducing my volume uh, and working at a lower frequency yeah uh, i've always thought about like I've got this sort of like two people speaking to me in my head. One saying, yeah. do more, do more, more is better. And then another person is saying, but this is working. You're getting stronger. You yeah. know, you're progressing a lift. You're, you're at your strongest ever and you're recovering well. And it's, it's hard to battle both of those, those voices. And mm. I, I think obviously for, for me, it's, I've, I've asked obviously a lot of people and their experiences and I've spoken to you about training a fair bit. And also having training partners, like at the moment, I'm in the past I've been training, and up until recently, of course, been training with with Cuba and with Jimmy, um, and they've gone through multiple different splits, and they've always come back to the the same split, which is pretty much we're, we're training, you know, um, four five times the max. And I look through my 2017 logs, and I was training six days in a row for most of that prep. One yeah. day off on a Sunday, and uh, I was a lot weaker. I was training a lot less, like sub maximally, so to speak, which is actually something I want to go on to next, and uh, a lot more volume as well. Like you know, you probably maybe caught up with some of the lifts I was doing, but it was regular that I would do like a you know four by six or a three by ten on a squat kind yeah. of thing, as opposed to you know the the, the loading set and the back offset that I do now. So it's, it is interesting to see that sort of full circle thing. So, so one of the things that I did want to ask you about training, amongst many things, is there's a lot of like stuff going around at the moment within the, the scientific community, community and the research uh, suggesting that you know volume is, is one of the main drivers for hypertrophy and that we must 
over the course of a period of time, a training block, perhaps eight weeks, uh, look to raise our volume incrementally. So, you know, what week one would we'll do a certain amount of sets, week two more, week three more, week four more, and then take some time off the deload. If anyone else is not aware to what I'm referring to as one, sort of running through it. Um, back when you were training, was there anyone else doing this? Was this uh, a training method? Were people going into the gym and purposely leaving reps on the table to preserve their energy and be able to recruit more volume? Uh, and, and what are your sort of both of your thoughts on on the training? Maybe uh, Ben take it first, and then we can get Lee's thoughts right. after. Easy answer from me. Um, nobody half decent. No, um, I wouldn't. I, I can't think of one competitive bodybuilder you know even average bodybuilder let alone good that didn't train crazily hard like scarily hard and that, you know if you look at the top 50 natural bodybuilders or drug-free bodybuilders sorry Lee, in the world they uh you know they, they don't they don't leave reps in reserve unless there's a a you know, a reason for injury. Um, they're having to put more volume in. They're having to, you know, superset their workouts for time. Whatever it is, that there's no rationale in my view. You know, I'm sure that science backs this up, but science is just an educated guess. You know, and it, I'm sure it makes sense on paper, but in application, it's those guys. You know, would you, what would Mark Oakes, Rich Gosdecki you know, I'm gonna every WMBF pro on the on the top five. You know, top five WMBF pros on stage. They all train the same way, and it's heavy, hard. Uh, you know, as hard as they can recover from. It just doesn't make sense to me leaving reps in reserve unless it was for injury prevention. Um, I can't really think of many other reasons to do that. What about you, Lee? Um, back. Back when I was serious about my training, I was involved in sort of training to be a competitive bodybuilder. Um, if you left reps in the tank in a hardcore bodybuilding gym, you'd just be called a lazy bugger and you'd be turfed out. Um, increasing volume over a period of time was a thing, but that was done by... Adding weight and reps. Yeah, adding weight yeah. and reps to what you can yeah. do which is the basic, to me, has always been the basic biological science between how you get bigger and stronger. Um, put more and more stimulus on that muscle and force it to adapt to that stimulus. Um, yeah, leave reps in the tank if you're having a, a back-off week now and again or if you've been off training for a little while and you're sort of having a break-in week to get back into it. But no, I'm, I'm not a big believer in training anything less than getting your money's worth out of that trip to the gym and, and, and training as hard as you can. And some days you're physically unable to train to your hundred percent. So if you've only got 70% that day, then that's your hundred percent for the day. That's what you give. You give everything you've got every single workout. Um, I know you, uh, you've had that ethos beaten into you for years, Ben. And I know that some of the workouts we've had together have been sick bucket induced in, you know, that we've, We've had some big ones. Yeah, I, I was lucky I, enough. Carry on. 
I, I, I was just going to say, I, I, I'm not a big fan of um, of not leaving it all on the field when you play. No, it just, just doesn't make sense to me. It's also, um, and the main reason, it's not enjoyable. It's not, it's not what training's about. You know, it's like, you know, taking diet breaks during a contest prep. Yes, on paper, it might make sense to recover a little bit. Although a lot of this is just, you know, guess guesswork. For me, it's contest prep or it's, or it's not or it's training, or it's not, it's cardio, or it's not, it's, there's no in-between, because, you know, the only, I, I get it, if somebody likes to train three times a day, they can't go all out, um, so they have to pace themselves, and if that's what they enjoy more than training hard, uh, than going all out, then that's what they've got to do, it's better than nothing, but um, yeah, I was lucky enough from day one to be, you know, guided by yourself, guided by you know, John Harris, who was the WMBF Pro World Champion at the time. Um, Mark Oakes, who was like, I don't know how many British titles he's got now, five British titles? Five, yeah. Yeah, and a couple of world titles to boot as well. Um, these guys were at the top of their game and they all trained the same way, like maximum two work sets per exercise to failure, good form. And they all looked the same. They were granite hard, not not big in a, you know, in a, like you know rich Kozdecki sort of crazy freaky but on stage that look that you want to have as a, a lightweight or a middleweight crazy ridiculous and stood out from the guys that were pumping around lightweights uh on machines and he, you know you could see the hard work you could guess you could be like you know before i even spoke to mark oaks i knew that he was deadlifting six plates aside and benching four plates aside you can just see it you know, there's no way you can look like that by training light or reps in reserve or whatever. And he still, he still does that now. And he still is a freak now. He, isn't, he hasn't competed for years, but he, he, he holds on to it because that muscle doesn't go anywhere. You know, and it, that's, that appeals to me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I totally agree with you, Ben. And, uh, and another person, and it was a little bit remiss of me, I mentioned him incredibly briefly on last week's podcast, is Damien, Damien Lees. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, I mentioned that Damien and I competed together in my first bodybuilding contest. I think it was Damien's second back in 93 when we were both 16. Uh, and I've had probably more workouts with Damien than, than with any other person that I've, I've trained with occasionally. Um, you know, we live at other opposite ends of the country, so we've had regular training partners. But I've trained with Damo over the years. So I've never had an easy workout with him. Never had an easy workout. There's no such thing where we come from. And look at look at Damien. I was going to say you can tell a, a mile dense, off. Yeah, density, quality separation in his muscle, a, a physique that's obviously been built by years and years of toil, uh, and that's how they're built. That's how they're built. And the science, the, the thing with science in general, is that any scientific experiment, if you're going to call it that, is going to be performed against a controlled background. So if you get a guy in a lab and, you know, I don't know, put him in a house for six weeks or a girl or put her in a house for six weeks you know, to be gender sort of, you know, open-minded on it and you train them in a certain way, you feed them in a certain way, you rest them in a certain way, that's never a replication of true life. You know, we've got jobs, we've got families, you work full-time, Ben, and you've got two young children. You know, I work ridiculously long hours and all weird shifts and I've got a family that, depend on me as well 
you know, AJ, you've got your commitments, you've got a job, you've got a partner, you've got a house, you know, the lawn doesn't mow itself. There are other things going on in life apart from this, this sort of ideal placebo background that these scientific things are done against. And, and, and I've always been told from day one, if you've got the energy, use it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And I've, some of the, the biggest studies that I've seen, you know, the ones that uh, most people are kind of referencing against, I've been done with students that have a six months training that may have stuck to the plan that, you know, they're beginner level and they would have got results doing anything, you know. Um, I, I just don't think you can. There, I don't. I've not seen one study out there when there's people training with with experience, training extremely hard, and comparing that against people that aren't training hard. You know, so. But sorry, man. I think one of my like biggest issues with the whole thing is that a lot of younger trainees are following these people that preach these methods, and they're picking it up like it's their first first go at training and they make this perfect little spreadsheet with how they're incrementing their volume and how many reps they're leaving in reserve in what week one week two week three week four and they haven't even learned how to train they don't even Mm -hmm. know how to train and i think one of the biggest things that was great about you know you guys growing up in your era and how you learned to train was that you learn how to train hard within probably the first six months of you being in the gym, um, in, the, in the gym environment with other people pushing themselves to the limit. Um, and unfortunately now, you know, the, the, the big chain gyms, the, the pure gyms, the, the gyms, you know, 70% of the people in there are probably not training as hard as, you know, you need to train if you want to be a, a top level bodybuilder. Yes, there's, there's 30% of people that are training probably very hard and doing work well. And there's people that come and do our shows and are training in these gyms and look superb. Yeah, you don't have to be in a specialist gym to, to look amazing. That's not, not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the influence is, is poorer than it was for you guys. You had great influence. You had people like Dorian to, to look up to. Um, and yes, there's, there's people now and a great, obviously influence on the bodybuilding scene in terms of holding on to that that Dorian style of training is Jordan Peters because he's probably got one of the biggest followings as a sort of bodybuilder yes he's not like at the Olympia as a pro but he's got this authoritative figure he's been someone that changed a lot of my training to be honest and I was that that young person who was training six days a week and probably a little bit higher volume and I found Jordan I was like jeez this is this is interesting and then I, I looked a little bit more I was like okay so is this a method that, that you know that just assisted bodybuilders use because at that time I, I didn't really know whether there was differences of course now I'm very much aware that the training is so similar and then I started looking at I remember I, I saw some of John's old YouTube videos um, in his like gym that he had I think it was in his back garden or something it was a big shed and um the cabin cabin that's what he called it, the cabin. He had a sign on the wall, the cabin. He made, made it himself, didn't he? <clears throat> he built it himself. I think it was like a log cabin kit that he pre-ordered and he built it himself. Yeah, he's moved from that house now. He doesn't have it anymore. He, he trains in a big double garage now. But yeah, carry on, AJ. I'm well, going off track again. So, um, so yeah, I saw some of his videos and I was like, okay, well, he's, he's training in a 
after in a similar fashion. And then I looked at old um, old logs that and, and, and interviews that, that Mark was doing, and uh, I read all of Mark's like training, and it just all sort of like linked up, and made a lot more sense. And just like Ben said, you know, I'm I'm a massive believer of the way you train reflects massively in the way you look and all the people that, that don't train to that close proximity of failure that don't focus on getting strong as hell always look the same they always look the same like they just look like without sounding harsh they look like everyone's opinion of natural bodybuilding yeah ringy <laughs> soft like yeah they can get hard but they just look like a marathon runner when they get hard mm. you know and that, that fucking frustrates me so much because that's not, in my opinion, what natural bodybuilding should be like. And, you know, when you go to Worlds and you see some of the top guys that, that do train, like how, you know, how we all kind of train now, um, the difference is uncanny. And that's what I want more people to be looking like. So, you know, it's doing podcasts like these and putting out content like this that I guess moves more people towards just trying it you know at the end of the day if ben said as well adherence and preference is a huge part of, of what makes your bodybuilding journey great if you don't enjoy training to, to failure if you don't enjoy you know those ball busting sets that you get into a leg press and you, you really sort of second doubt whether you're going to get the rep finished and without blowing your head up like if you don't enjoy those sets then you have to do them you know yeah but, um, it's, it's a mindset thing as well, isn't it? You know, if these guys that are in the off season training that way, uh, looking for an easy option, trying to look at science, what, what scientific, you know, study has come out now that can make my training easier, make my diet easier in prep when it really matters, you know, that last eight to 12 weeks when you're really struggling, shouldn't be eight to 12 weeks, by the way, it should be four weeks. Um, you want to be not looking for, easy options you want to be training hard just embracing it and you know just doing what you got to do not not looking for the latest kind of fad um to shy away so it's more than just training and building muscle as well it's building character it's building you know it translates outside the gym as well and your training's got to you wouldn't go into business going oh you know if i just made a few quid no, I'll be all right. Is there an easy way to do that? You, you know, you'd attack it and give 100% sleepless nights, you know, and it's got to be the same for training, for family, anything that you really want. You know, it's got to be 100% or nothing. Yeah. I, I like to coin the, the kind of comparison between bodybuilding and track athletics. And if you look at a marathon runner, you know, a marathon runner will run and run and run for hours. They have to, they run marathons. Um, but, you know, we're talking long distance running. We're talking sub-maximal effort because you can't put everything into every stride of that run because you've got so many of them to save yourself for. Well, uh, you know, you, you, you in this life in many things end up being what you do. You are a reflection of what you do. And a marathon runner looks like a marathon runner. And a sprinter who comes out of those blocks and gives 100% to every stride for that 100 or 200 metres or to a degree 400s, they look like sprinters. And, you know, somebody once, a lot of people say bodybuilding's a marathon and not a sprint, but that, 
yeah, when you apply to adherence and consistency and the time it takes to get to where you want to go, it certainly is a marathon and not a sprint. But if you want to look like a sprinter, train like a sprinter. If you want to look like a marathon runner, train for hours and train so maximally. That, that, that's always been the theory that I've been brought up on and, and, and I've seen it really go far wrong. Love it. And there's that select few as well, isn't there, out there like uh, Rich Gosdecki that can do both. He can train absolute animal heavy, like you'll know AJ, you trained with him a few weeks ago, um, and like freakishly strong. And you think, wow, he's got a good 45 minutes of training like this. This is, And it goes on for three hours, you know, and sickening amount of volume, but with weight and intensity and six days a week and working 50 hours a week and got a family. And, you know, there's a select few out there that can do it all, um, but we're not all like that, you know. That's actually the next topic that I kind of want to go into a little bit. I want to change Taka a bit and go into training from a perspective of volume. So we've kind of covered intensity there. So there's bodybuilders out there that are natural, drug-free, totally, and train with a lot of volume and mm -hmm. some of them look immense so to like coin probably two of the ones that come to my mind that is Rich Godzecki and Doug Miller um, those are two that have always stood out as kind of people that go against the grain in terms of what I believe in and look still that way that we like natural bodybuilders to look big, hard, full, separated, etc. So, obviously, give your opinions as to you know why you think that there's some people out there that, that can train like that. And I'd be really interested to know if you feel like those people would maybe look better if they did less. I know that sounds like a bit of a, like a dig because you're you know maybe going against what they do and it's obviously worked incredibly well for them but it's a question I always ask myself and I, I I try to almost ask Rich during the session but I was too busy dying and trying not to have a cardiac arrest mm -hmm. to, uh, to actually put the questions in so yeah you, you guys take the lead on that well I mean to be fair I don't see it as a dig at all you actually stole my punchline there because that was how I was going to finish and I've been telling Richard this for years because again he lives 10 miles away from me and I've known him since the first time he ever stepped on stage in a bodybuilding show. Um, I do believe he could be better if he trained more efficiently. So that's, that, that, that's, 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 that, that's for a parallel universe because he's got no interest in doing so. Um, but I wish, I wish I could manage Rich's training and I could, probably have, I could probably have made him just as good as he is in quicker time or better than he is, I don't know. But I, I, I think that um, he's 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 gone above and beyond what he needs to do in terms of training volume. But it's worked for him, and he he looks incredible. And he's got one of the best frames I've ever seen on a, on a drug-free bodybuilder, and probably is one of the most genetically gifted drug-free bodybuilders I've ever met. But we're talking about a guy that is great at every sport that he tries, and I'm not saying he doesn't work hard because we all know he works so hard. He fancied being a powerlifter, so he, he did some powerlifting for a few months. Um, you know, didn't about four weeks out from his first powerlifting contest, he didn't even realize that you weren't allowed to wear wrist straps for the deadlift. You know, he didn't even know the rules, he just said, I'll have a go at this. 
you know, I went to I went to his first British Championships with him, and and I was his spotter on the uh, a spotter and his loading guy on the in the warm up area, and he didn't know you had to wear socks up to your knees to deadlift with, you know, he, he just sort of played at it and still came third in the British Championships. Went back the next year and blew everybody away, you know, got into indoor rowing against guys who were Olympic level athletes and came third in the British Championships. I, I was at his wedding, and. Uh, and he stole the microphone off the wedding singer and sang all night long by Lionel Richie and sounded better than the man himself. You know, the, the guy is a ball of talent. He is, is an incredibly talented man who knows how hard he has to work to, to make the best of those talents. Um, and, and I think, to a degree, people who can train with incredibly high volume and still make the gains uh, with an S, not a Z, that we uh, that we that, that they need to make to be high level bodybuilders are genetically atypical. Um, you know, I the first time I ever walked into a gym, I couldn't even bench press an empty Olympic bar off my chest. You know, that was twenty kilos in weight. I'd already been training in my bedroom for six months before that, and I hadn't even got to the point where I could bench press twenty kilos. You know, there there are other people who who try as they might, you know, if their shoulder span is the same as their waist and they've got no clavicle width and they've got wide hips, they're never going to develop a V-taper. You know, genetics are incredibly important. And when you've got somebody who's such a, a naturally talented athlete, like Rich, um, to a degree, they don't have to do what's perfect to make the, to, to get the results they need. They just have to work hard. And, and he does, he, he works hard at the dinner table he works incredibly hard in the gym and whether he could be better doing other things is almost a moot point because he's, he's got the genetic ability to, to recover from what he's doing. And, and that's the basics of bodybuilding, isn't it? That's the basics of hypertrophy is, you know, you apply a stimulus, you recover from the stimulus and then you overcompensate for that stimulus by growing and or getting stronger. And he's able to recover from that. If I train, three hours a day, six days a week, I'd be in hospital after a week or, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd break or snap something or, or more's the point. And this is a really interesting one because it's a little anecdote that I was going to squeeze in afterwards at some point. Um, more's the point. I quit after six months because I didn't enjoy it. And Rich obviously does enjoy it, which is why he does it. And, and I've had this conversation with him. He loves training like that. And that's the thing that keeps him enthused and keeps him part of, you know, doing what he's doing because he loves what he's doing. Um, I had a I had a conversation in in the states last year. It wasn't at the worlds. It was on another trip to the states that I made. He was got a, a pretty high profile in the sport. Said to you know sort of recognise me. He was having a conversation with me, and and asked about Ben because they knew that I had some hand in in helping Ben with his training and you know looking after him when he was competing. And they said, um, so how come Ben Howard only trains three days a week? Like it was this big shocker, like it was, oh my God, you know, does, does he really, you know? I mean, they knew he did, but what, why, why does he only train three days a week? Almost like they were being critical of what he did. And my answer was typically dry, British and straight-faced, which always goes down well when you're in the middle of the States. I said, well, because he only needs to. You know, he, you, you stood on stage with him at the Worlds in 18 and we all know how that ended. <laughs> and he's training three days a week. You, you, 
if that's excuse me <clears throat> if that's what he needs to do then then that's what he needs to do but i know for a fact that bet will probably agree with me if he started trading six days a week he'd probably get sick of it pretty quickly jack it in go and play sunday league football instead and then the world will have lost one of its greatest natural bodybuilding talents because six day a week training wasn't the thing for him and football was just more enjoyable. I've tried it. I've tried doing four <laughs> days a week. Uh, that didn't last long either. It's not, I didn't enjoy it. It's just it took away from the intensity that I enjoy. That's what I enjoy. You know, I like to be, when I'm walking into the gym, it's either a squat or a deadlift or a press or a row. Or, you know, and I need to be fresh for that. If I'm not, I'm not going to tickle around doing arms or a bit of cardio or fluffing around. It's, it doesn't, that doesn't enjoy me. You know, it's not what I enjoy, but I mean, just going back to your previous point as well, when we were talking about rich training so much, it's not easy training, even his arm oh. sessions uh, and his, uh, you know, he, he'll train just a, a few facts to throw out there. All. He diets on less calories. You know, he competes what? A hundred, 105 kilos on stage. Some, yeah, ridiculous uh, about, size. around about a hundred when he's at his best, yeah, yeah, and he diets on like two thousand five hundred calories, you know, a couple of two to three hundred grams of carbs all the way through his diet, um, an hour of cardio a day, training six days a week, really active job, walking the dog every day, running out around after his family every day, you know, he he outworks everyone, and that's what keeps him focused, as you said, that if if he wasn't, he wouldn't enjoy it, no. It's, Isn't yeah. but he but he's a natural born grafter and and if yeah. anybody's ever had the pleasure of meeting his dad, his dad is one of the hard, most hard working blokes I've ever ever had the pleasure of meeting. You know, a real gentleman, a great guy, you know, proper old school grafter, and that was the way that Rich was brought up. And obviously his swimming background, you know, when he was a teenager, yeah. he was British getting, champion. Yeah, but but that 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 requires you to be getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go to swim for two hours before school. Uh, yeah, as a school kid, like putting, yeah. you know, ridiculous. And that, that that work ethic is just what he thrives on, and and he absolutely loves it. And if I genuinely believe, if you if you, if you told him that you you're not allowed to do that anymore, you've got to do something that only requires three workouts a week, he probably wouldn't enjoy it. Nah. Might not do it. So Ben, actually, whilst we're on the still on the topic of you were talking about how you've tried for four days and you just don't like it. Mm. So for people that are trying to work out whether they need to drop down their frequency, uh-huh. what, what sort of like feelings or emotions or like the way that you approached those sessions where you were doing the four or doing the five, whatever, how did you feel and, and what, what sort of signs do people need to be aware of when they, when they need to pull back their frequency? Yeah, well, the obvious ones is little niggles and injuries, which you don't want to pick up. Um, But it's going in demotivated. Even if I train two days in a row now, I can go in, not like, oh, I don't want to be here. Of course, I love training. But, you know, after, you know, hitting squats and deadlifts and everything in the session and going in and trying to do some heavy rows, I don't recover from that. So it's like, well, I don't want to just go and use machines and, um, or just do something that's easier. I'd rather do as much hard work as I can. Um, and that tends to be three days per week. If things are really 
you know, things are going well in terms of like, you know, sleep is going well, no stress, life stresses and stuff. I could probably do one week four, one week three. So every other day. Uh, but again, that doesn't last long. All it takes is a, a string of, uh, you know, some the kids getting up at night and, uh, or early, you know, shifts and I'm back to do three days a week cause I can't recover. Um, so, but yeah, it's just feeling run down, you know, you, it's, it creeps up on you. You've got little injuries creeping in, um, your, I log book all my sessions and just no progress. In fact, you'll see a decline in strength, um, sleep quality, stress in general. You just find yourself just kind of a little bit more anxiety, maybe, you know, uh, not enjoying your training just because you know, you know what it's like in the off season compared to pre-contest that that would be a bigger scale. So you go in pre-contest and it's just getting the job done just trying to maintain muscle is the goal really that the latter stages, even if you go in with the mindset of building muscle, probably not going to happen when you're lifting lighter weights than you were a few months ago. You know, in the off season, however, it should be going in feeling like, yeah, I can attack this and this is going to be a new me. It's a new lift. It's a new um, PB for me, you know, and that's how I want to approach every session. And if I'm not, what am I there for? That that's kind of my feeling behind it, but I, I know you've you've started training. Do you say four or five days per week now, as opposed to like five or six? How do you feel? Pretty pretty much five most mm. of the time. Then some days it's four. Um, I think the, the main thing that was driving me towards doing that was just fatigue. It's just immense when I was getting as strong as I was getting on most of the movements I was doing um, to the point where it would not just ruin like my my session it would ruin my day like i wouldn't be able to focus for work um i wouldn't be able to sleep properly i'd feel that you know that, that anxiety feeling of just basically my body just being in a, a very sort of fight or flight state in the most simple of ways all the time and uh it's not a nice feeling because you kind of start to build your mindset towards the fact that this is how you should feel and then you start to speak to other people and obviously I learned more about what it feels like to be overreached not overtrained but overreached and uh, I was just in sort of like a constant state of, of battling my body's sort of nervous system um, and that's something that I think a lot more people need to take into perspective is that just because you're maybe you know your muscles are ready and you've recovered and by the next session it doesn't mean that your nervous system is ready as well and that arguably when it comes to like focus and general health general well-being is probably the most important thing to be aware of so i think that's why i i dropped down the frequency and i think you know it's not to say that people can't get away with training a little bit more frequently when they're weaker and younger but you're still putting that same degree for training really hard you're still putting that same degree of um sort of like pressure on your body to to recover from a nervous system perspective or to you adapt but still you're, you're training very hard so i i believe that even if you're beginning you should train that three to maximum five but you know three to four times a week probably be appropriate for most people from what i've i've seen so far and with my clients as well so yeah i'm sure hmm. Yeah, I, I find that as well. Three days per week, even for beginners, just because you want to make it as sustainable as possible. You know, the amount of people that I see starting 
out the blocks five days a week, you know, it doesn't last long. It doesn't last very rarely. You know, if someone can train three days per week, it doesn't impact their life too much, but they're seeing great results. That snowballs then. Uh, and you can always add to that if you wanted to, or if you, if you can recover from that. But I've always tried to, you know, Lee will know this, that I, I had a stint in my early 20s. Of, I wasn't training. I kind of fell, fell out of love with the, with the sport a little bit. Um, you know, personal life wasn't great. And I picked it back up again with the help of Lee. And um, I, I started on three days per week, you know, because I knew that I could do that for the foreseeable future. And I've, I can count maybe twice. I've had two weeks off in the last five, six years uh, just because I didn't need time off. So you can, you know, it's sustainable. And I think that a beginner should not try and, you know, have training take over their life, you know. So you, three days a week is plenty if you're training properly, if you're training hard. No doubt about it. Well, variable on what, what, what sort of program you're using, of course. I mean, it works for you. You know, everything's down to the individual. But you tend to run either full body workouts or upper lower splits, don't you? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I know, AJ, you're doing five days a week at the minute, but aren't you running a push-pull legs split? Yes, yeah, I am. Body part frequency and, you know, the energy expended during workouts is a factor there as well. If you were doing upper lower, you wouldn't be training five days a week. If you were training full body, you wouldn't be training five days a week. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. You've used a word there, Ben, that I, I have a, a point that was drummed into me years and years ago that I'll make now, the, the word beginner. Um, so many people have come to me over the years and said, what's a, what's a good beginner's routine? Hmm. And I tell them the same thing. I tell them what I was taught years and years ago. The beginner is not the routine. The beginner is the person. You know, 25 years ago, there were guys winning national level bodybuilding contests doing full body workouts three days a week. Um, Dorian Yates, when he won his IFBB pro card by winning the British uh, back in the late 80s, it was 88. He won the British. I hope it was 88. If it was 87, I'm going to look really stupid now, but it was one of those two. I'm sure it was 88 he won. He was training three days a week and he was training legs and arms and the chest back shoulders split. And he would be running, you know, he'd be training those body parts three times over a two week period, you know, four working sets for chest, six for back, six for shoulders, you know, basic stuff, squat, leg press, leg curl for his thighs. And that got him to a British title. And most people would look at that and say, that's a basic beginner's routine. But the beginner is the person and not the routine that they're using. I love it. I think another thing I wanted to cover was, I mean, I, I'm sure both of you have dealt with this situation. Um, I feel like I'm still growing as a whole, so I've not kind of looked at it too much. Um, and I think that's an important thing that one of you might say. But over the years that you've, you know, been competing and, you know, especially for yourself and get into the high echelons of the sport, you'll have noticed that you've developed or gained momentum in other body parts more than others. So what's your opinion on, on weak body part training? And do you think that there's a certain level you have to get to before you start to pinpoint areas that are weak body parts? Like, do you think if you're know, a teenager and you're, you know, 
17, 18 years old, do you think that's the right time to be picking apart weak body parts? Do you think you can still spot imbalances, things that are growing better than others? Or you know, do you think that's worth waiting for the future? What's your opinion on that? No, I, I think if you've got a well-balanced routine and, and everything's getting hit to a degree, um, you don't need to start picking anything apart. You know, I always say this to the, the guys, oh, I've got a weak arm, so I've got to batter them, you know, and give them up. But what about the calves? They have a calf day as well, do they? Um, but to gain an inch on your arms, how much are you going to have to gain overall strength-wise? You know, it's going to be a lot, you know, years of training. So I personally, until, I mean, when I won the 2014 UK Novice uh, title I was still training full body three days per week um, no isolation work for arms you know just still trying just to gain strength and mass all over um, even t even 2016 when I uh, won my pro card I was training predominantly that way and then I might add in some curls um, some heavy curls one exercise and I still train like that now by the way one exercise for these small body parts just get, trying to get as strong as possible all over including there but no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick apart, you know, hamstrings and do 10 different exercises of hamstrings, but it's a big body part compared to your biceps, you know. Um, so I, I just don't, again, my mindset with intensity, even if I did 10 exercises, 10 sets for a small body part, it's not any better than doing two full blown sets that are going to, you know, give a message to that body part that it can't refuse but to grow, you know. Um, it's just my it's just my mindset really but yeah I wouldn't start looking at weak body parts until you've passed the five year mark you know at least you know train them you know you don't have you don't don't just like look going blindly you know train every body part well um, but focus more on execution and consistency and the basics before you start trying to, you know, trick the body, you know. What do you reckon, Lee? Lee, just to, before you answer, can I just sort of turn the question a little bit just to, to sure. what we might give a slightly varied answer. So let's say you're at a show, you're at the table and there's the team class comes on and you see one of the teams walk out and he's fucking awesome, waist down, but upper body wise, a long way behind obviously balance is huge in bodybuilding so let's say that person comes second and he gets beaten by someone with more balance and he comes to you at the end of the show and says you know what what, what do i do to win he's got these ginormous complex looking legs and his upper body's hanging behind at that point he could be one or two years into his training career is the advice still the same as to waits until he's at the five-year mark and then start seeing if the imbalance is still an issue or is uh, there other things you can think about because I've, I've seen different opinions on this like i've seen people say that if you have a strong body part make it ridiculous and then wait for everything else to catch up and other people say obviously you can focus on the balance whilst it's reaching whilst it's still correcting but what's your what's your thoughts so if i was faced with a direct scenario um, the first thing I'd tell that guy is to restructure the question because there's nothing you can do to win a bodybuilding contest. Uh, I've seen guys go 
away from bodybuilding contests, make all the improvements it's been suggested that they need to make in whatever facet that it's been suggested in, come back and place lower. Um, because, it, it, you know, who's going to turn up on the day? You can't guarantee a win in bodybuilding. Um, you know, we've, we've discussed this, haven't we, Ben, recently about uh, various situations. So I never, I hate giving feedback. I hate giving feedback from the point of view that your result in the bodybuilding contest is variant only on who stood on that stage with you on that particular day. If I were to get into the realms of giving people a pick apart the body sort of analysis of their physique, then I'm not doing the job of a bodybuilding judge anymore. I'm doing the job of a trainer. And there are people out there who've got trainers, but then they come to me for advice on what to do for their physiques. And it makes me wonder how good their trainers are, if I'm honest. Um, and from now, I actually have a policy, and I think it's written into the rules on our website, that after a contest, I'm not going to give you feedback anymore because you've entered the contest against other people and your placing has been dictated by them, not by me, not by you. Um, so what do I need to do to win is, is a question that would probably give the kid a headache when he heard the answer to, like it probably just did you. Um, if I was training that kid, if I was, if I had a hands on, I, I, I'd be honest with that, that guy and say, well, you, you're bottom heavy. You know, your, your upper body is nowhere near the level of development of your legs. And the other guy, you know, your legs are a nine out of 10, your upper body's a three out of 10 and his upper and lower were both a six. So, you know, he, he beats you on balance. Um, I would have to ask that young man what he was doing training wise. And, uh, I would have to I would have to use an, an an educated view as a trainer to make sure that their routine was balanced. If somebody's got very heavy, very muscular legs that really are that far ahead of their upper body, then maybe they're not training their upper body hard enough. Maybe they've got some sort of issue that stops them from doing so. I mean, if you look back over the years, some people have got naturally good legs. Some people who've played. Um, I met a guy once who was a very good ice hockey player, so his legs are always really heavily developed. Um, there was a, a, a really high-level guy a few few years ago who doesn't compete anymore, Peter Chown. Um, he was a BMX rider when he was a kid, and I think he did the old the stunts and the tricks and stuff like that. He's always had good legs because he was riding a BMX. Um, so there could be things that put you ahead of the game with, say, your leg development or whatever, but somebody who's got that much of an imbalance, their training, we probably need to go back to the point Ben made, which funnily enough is probably the same point I would have made. In that if your training is balanced, then your body to a degree will be. We're all going to have a weak body part. And I've been training for 30 years this year, on and off, and I've never had biceps. Um, I've never had impressive biceps. It doesn't matter whether I do a lot for them or nothing for them. Never had impressive biceps. The body just doesn't want them to be biceps on that side of my arm. My triceps have always been okay, but genetically my biceps are weak. Calves, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was a piece of Dorian advice. Guy in the gym with um, weak calves who was a competitive bodybuilder asked him, what do I do to get calves like yours? He said, oh, you're not going to. Um, forget it. 
you know, genetics, genetics sort of thing. Um, his advice to this guy, uh, it was actually the owner of the gym that I trained at for most of my, my, my active bodybuilding time. Uh, his advice to him was just stop training your calves because they're not growing. It's a waste of your energy. Just leave it. They're always going to be weak. So just leave it. Um, and I love it. I absolutely, but, but it's true that, you know, but the, the guy's calves never grew when he trained them. So why bother? And, and the same with me, I could never do a great deal to get my calves to grow. Um, so I don't really train them very much. Uh, but then they're not that weak. They just never change. I had, you know, 17-inch calves when I first picked up a weight, and they're still 17 inches now. But they've never grown, never grown over the years. The, the only thing that ever made my calves grow was uh, jumping rope when I was a kickboxer. You know, I'd skip for 10 rounds three times a week, and all of a sudden I've got muscle in my calves. Bizarre. And I'm not doing that now. Um, but yeah, again, digressing a little bit, balance training, balance training, make sure you're working all of the body parts to the appropriate level, progress with your training. Um, if you're on the training subject, you know, Stuart McRobert, you've heard of Stuart McRobert? He wrote the books Brawn, Beyond Brawn, Further Brawn, you know, and that was basic compound training for genetically typical drug-free bodybuilders and people who want to get bigger and stronger. And he touched, he said something, one of his points that he made in those books was something that Ben's touched on. If you want to put an inch on your arms, then focus on being 15 pounds heavier. Focus on bench pressing 50 pounds more than your bench press now. You know, focus on, you know, strapping weight around your waist when you do chin-ups that's the way to get an inch on your arms, not to add extra curls. Cool. I think we've been going for about an hour and a bit now, guys. So should we finish with some listener questions to give some direct yeah. value to the audience? Yeah, let's throw a few out there. And I've actually been sent one for you as well, AJ, that we could touch on if we've got time. Oh. Okay. <laughs> all right. So first of all, we're going to take one from our resident WMBF Pro. Taffy Taylor. So um, it's actually a really good question. So Taffy, you win. This is the best question we've got out of about 25 questions. Um, wow. Not to hate on the listeners, but the rest are quite rubbish. So Taffy, you didn't really win that much of an award here. Not quite as good as the WMF Pro card. Um, so when and why was your most successful period of training? Both of you. Uh, I think the answer is probably going to be the same for both of us. Um, it'll probably be the first year to 18 months that we trained back in our teens when we didn't have full-time jobs to worry about, wives to keep happy with endless lists of chores, mortgages to pay and uh, sleepless nights worrying about all, all the other stuff that grown-ups have to worry about uh, when our bodies weren't used to training and adapted to it really, really quickly. That was when I certainly made my fastest progress and probably built 50% of the muscle that I've still got today, which isn't a lot, might I add. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's probably been my most, my most productive period of, uh, of, of training over the years was when I very first started. Ben? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm ne you're never going to make as much progress as you had that first 18 months of training. That, as you say, 50% at least of your lifetime worth of gains is made in that time. But you know, I think the, 
whenever I go back to bare basics, whenever I scrap junk volume, whenever I, you know, go back to basics, I make huge progress. Even now, you know, I've been lucky enough, a friend of mine's lent me some basic equipment. I, all I can do is squat and deadlift and press and row. I can't do any, there's no, no nice machines to hide behind. Um, and I'm, I'm growing now more than I have for years. You know, it's fantastic. So I, I think any time that you can apply intensity and basics um, and just kind of get in yourself within a set um, for, a, for a period of time, weeks and months, you're going to see great progress. And when you start straying away from that, it's no coincidence that, you know, it's, the progress stops. But you're also another key point there. You're also furloughed away from work at the moment. Yeah, so lots of sleep. You're not getting Brilliant. up at four o'clock in the morning to no. go and open up the leisure centre and you're not working 12-hour days and you're not running classes and you're not, you're not physically as active as you were. So that could I was going to say, it's, it's like progress. being a student again now. Like, recovery is great. <laughs> I'm training when I want. You know, eat. Yeah, things are as good as they have been for years in terms of training. You know, so I think when you create the right environment, if you can, um, you know, you, you're going to see great results regardless, but it's always going to be that first year, first year of training. You're never going to beat that. Cool. So we have another question from Jack Shawburn. He kind of answered it a little bit, but I'm a little still, um, I'm interested in hearing the answer. So obviously you were training before you met, met Lee, Ben. When you met mm -hmm. Lee, did, did Lee automatically change some of the stuff you were doing or were you already doing a lot of what, what Lee's training sort of thoughts were? Yeah, I mean, well, when I first started training, um, I don't know if you knew that, I, I found the Natural Muscle Forum, which was John Harris's uh, bodybuilding forum and Lee was on there. Um, so when I started training, I, I hadn't met Lee in person, but uh, we'd spoken on there. So it was pretty much from day one, um, you know, very, very, very early on, it went from the throwing dumbbells around in my bedroom to going to a gym and training correctly from from day one. And I knew when I wasn't, you know, it was. Uh, I, I remember there was a period of time I, I trained at a gym in uh, Coventry called uh, the Apollo for a year, and um, from when I was sixteen, and they have amazing kit, like loads of amazing machines. Uh, it's like a, a museum for bodybuilders almost. And I didn't use any of it. I used to just go in, there was a little uh, walkway downstairs into this tiny little dungeon room, almost the size of a single garage with a squat rack and a mirror. And that's where I used to train. I used to disregard the rest of it because it was, I wasn't interested. You know, uh, I, I didn't even go and play around with any of that kit. It was just in straight down the stairs on my own. It was um, how it was supposed to be. And that was drilled into me from day one. And there was no interest in even periodizing training. Uh, it was just get as strong as possible on these 10 lifts, eat a good amount of food and gain 50 pounds. Okay. And when you do that, then, then come and ask some questions, but no, I got some really good guidance from, from day one, really. Uh, thanks to that forum, which is no longer, is it Lee? Uh, I, I don't go on it very often anymore. Yeah in a couple of times and it was it was very quiet i think the uh social media sort of platforms that became massive around about sort of you know 2010 2011 mm. 
everybody got into Facebook and then Instagram came along. So the forums died a bit of a death, didn't they? But yeah. we had a real sort of brother and sisterhood on that forum. And, you know, we're all really grateful to John for, for, for giving us that platform to talk and to get to know each other and swap training ideas. And you know, do you remember Eric who sadly passed away? Yeah. Eric, ex-pro yeah. wrestler from up in the Lake District who was on the forum. He'd, he'd keep a list of whose birthday was when because it would tell you on your forum profile information and every day he'd go on there and post a happy birthday post for somebody and, you know, old legend, great guy. and they, they were good days, but we used to swap information. And when, you know, younger, less experienced guys like yourself would come on the forum, we do our very best to steer you away from getting things wrong. And and that was just the way it was. Then people wanted to help each other, didn't they? Not for their own self promotion or or any other reason. Not at all. No, it, it was uh, almost like a, an invite to the shows and stuff. You didn't know anything about any of those until you went on something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be into bodybuilding if it wasn't for that forum. I wouldn't have attended the show, met you. I, I wouldn't be competing. Definitely not. Cool. Should we finish up with a question that you've got, Lee? Oh, yeah. Here's one for you. I'm going to have to put my spectacles back on. With a, uh, another tribute, double-handed adjustment for Dave. So here's a question for you, AJ. Well, the best question I got this week, by the way, after uh, the podcast was, what was I drinking during the course of that podcast? Because I've got this rather large beaker here that I drink out of. And everybody thought I was on the ale because I was ranting and raving so much. But no, sorry, I do that sober. Sugar-free Vimto is my poison. Sugar-free Vimto cordial. Those of you agree. Um, but the question I've got for you, AJ, is um, it's from last year's British Masters and overall figure champion and uh, world amateur Masters figure champion, Maria Jordminer. Hello, Maria. And she has asked you specifically via the UK, the FBA Facebook page. Um, AJ, what, if any, are the differences when you are programming training for people in different categories, i.e. bikini to figure to fit body to bodybuilding? So I think focusing on female female divisions, and I've got some great input on that as well for, for, for afterwards. I think we'll all have an opinion on that. But the question is aimed directly at you if you're programming training for a female athlete basically the essence of that question is is your training programming going to change based on what division the athlete wishes to compete in sure so i think as an overarching answer like a bit of a wider broader look at things not a whole lot different and there isn't there isn't too much that changes especially when it you get into the nitty-gritty of the programming there's not a lot that you need to change when it comes to competing in different categories, especially if someone has a balanced program because amongst all the classes, I mean, you could argue, obviously, if you're looking into men's physique where you are covering the legs, the balance is slightly less a concern, but still you would like to train the, the, the lower half of your body for so many other different reasons, um, not just the aesthetic side of things. Um, when it comes to females, I definitely think that you can have a little bit more prioritization of volume and frequency for um, the delts, the glutes, 
back and you can start to drip away your volume in a, which would be in a male program from from the chest um, and perhaps from some other areas but realistically you want to be training the legs very similarly if not maybe I find that the, the lower half of females you can actually hit it with a slightly bigger total amount of volume um, they are they tend to be you know females a little bit more type 2 dominant they can train in higher rep ranges they can also train across sets a little better than, than males so their performance across a, a two or three set sort of um, range would be so let's say we selected the same weight for three sets a female might actually be able to maintain performance a little bit more cleaner than a, than a guy I know if I did three sets my reps would come down gradually yeah. as I perform sets whereas females can seem to of extend their, their volume thresholds a little bit further mm -hmm. and keep training close to failure. Um, so in most of my female programs, there, there is a little bit more volume. Um, what you've got to remember is that, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, females are weaker than males, so their volume can be a lot higher. And that's, I don't think, a reason to suggest that their volume needs to be higher because what I've said earlier about, like, the nervous system, it doesn't really matter what you're lifting. It matters what you're lifting in terms of proximity to failure. And for you and for that individual, that weight might be still very, very heavy for you and your nervous system. So I don't think that's necessarily a reason to bump up volume because most most top-level bigger athletes and even some bikini athletes are actually very, very strong when you compare their numbers pound for pound. Um, some of them are even stronger than, than some guys. Um, so the strength relative to their, their body is, is pretty pretty vast. Um, I think also the length of time females can train without needing to back off or deload is a little longer than males as well. So um, tends to be I, I I've never been a huge fan of programming deloads and saying okay week six we're, we're deloading. I always sort of wait to get the feedback coming to me that they need a deload and. Uh, for, for you, Maria, that would be like, you know, feeling feeling sort of more fatigue in your sessions, sleep dropping off, having that sort of anxiety feeling, maybe your appetite's dropping off if you're in the off-season, um, niggles, joints, things like that getting a little bit worse for wear. Um, and that's, that's really it, to be honest. And obviously the same thought, thought process applied, like we said earlier, you know, if you're still building the basis of your physique then you should wait until you, you really sort of see it all to come together as to whether you pick apart areas that might need a little bit more work um, and of course when you step on stage you'll realize okay are my legs where they need to be in comparison to the girls at the top do they need to be a bit bigger as my upper body where it needs to be um, and uh, yeah that's 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 about it really um, I think I've, I've got a better eye now in terms of spotting the differences between the, the female classes as well. Um, obviously this past year, 2019, the introduction of Fit Body, it was a year where I was kind of putting my females into both and seeing whether they, they fit. Um, but now I think I've got a better idea of that happening up to Worlds as well. And I think it's a complete side tangent. I could tangent all day on it, but I think that's a huge reason why coaches should go to loads of shows and especially if you want to be coaching the top people you should be at worlds every year 
and I've been at Worlds every year for the past three years for, well, main reason is that I love it and I wouldn't miss it for the world. But at the same time, I want to it's a development process for me as a coach. It's seeing, it's being able to tell someone, not that you can't pinpoint whether they've, whether they're going to win, but you can pinpoint whether they'll be one day maybe at world standard because I've seen it in the flesh. And other people, I've seen so many coaches, I could go on for a huge run on this. So many coaches say, oh, you could be a world champion or, or I'm going to get a pro card. And you haven't even seen what the people look like that are getting pro cards or what the people look like at worlds that are winning world championships. So how the hell do you think you're going to tell by a photo whether someone's that standard or not? Um, especially when you're looking at your client photos as well, not them in person. Um, but anyway, that's that question answered. Lee, I'm sure you've got a few things to add in uh, in your uh, your approaches as well. No, no, your answer was fantastic, and it, and it mirrors a lot of stuff. When when it came to sort of female focused training, I I had a lot of first hand sort of tuition on on how to train females from Ian Duckett who's arguably, you know, for, for, for a long period of time when he was actively doing it, the number one guy when it came to coaching figure athletes and the like. He, I think his stable of athletes was almost entirely female. Uh, and it was through Ian that I learned what you said, you know. Um, I, can, I can take a woman to failure on a set of squats and 30 seconds later she's ready to go again. And I'm thinking, where's all this strength and energy coming from? Where's this recovery coming from? And the reps don't drop off over a course of sets. And, um, and, and, and I've, I've long believed that women are generally tougher than men in life. You know, enduring the pain of childbirth for those that can and choose to do it. Um, getting rid of a cold a lot quicker than men who pretend they've got the man flu. You know, women, women are tough cookies. Their bodies are biologically built to be tough. So you can train a woman very hard. Um, I think full body training in particular works exceptionally well for, for female athletes, uh, more so than males, I would say, because they can recover from it. You know, they can recover from training full body three days a week. That was another tip that Ian gave me. And absolutely, he's, an, he's a mastermind on training. I don't speak to him as much as I should do, uh, but he's, he's taught me a lot over the years. Um, when it comes to different disciplines, again, it goes back to the, you know, you are the byproduct of what you do, kind of kind of thing. And you know, I, I, bikini athletes should look athletic, so I would I would train them like an athlete. You know, more yeah, and figure athletes as well. They're structurally different to bikini athletes, mostly in that from day one, I'll look at the natural shoulder width of a female and say you're not going to be a great bikini athlete because you're going to be big and wide and have that V taper which isn't what you should be looking for in bikini. Um, the, the number one difference between training females as opposed to males is I would be far more reluctant to let a female go too far over a contest weight. I, I always encourage females to stay closer to their contest weight because that massive drop in weight and the big brutal diet to get there and the effects it would have on your hormones and stuff. You're, you're playing with some dangerous ground when it comes to female athletes messing around with you know, their, their endocrine system. Um, but on, on, on the whole, you know, pretty, pretty much mirroring what you're saying as far as 
female athletes go, AJ. What about you, Ben? Yeah, pretty much the same. I would always train, um, as you say, a female full body. They recover so much quicker, not just within the session, but between sessions too. Um, and yeah, <laughs> exactly what you say. Stay leaner. Um, don't mess around. I mean, it depends what class they're staying in. We might not have to get as lean as a uh, a bodybuilder if they're in a in a different class. But um, yeah, just 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 stay leaner. Train a little bit more athletically. Um, I do see female bodybuilders that there's a big difference between those that train like a you know a bit fluffy to training really heavy. You can really see that as well, a bit like you can with the guys. But it really stands out with the females because female training tends to be more geared to work like general general purpose kind of training very rarely do you see a very strong uh female athlete not have a lot of muscle mass like an outstanding amount of muscle mass mm. um so you know i remember back in the days of max ot training i don't know if you remember that um but i used to know uh, somebody who trained max ot and she was huge head and shoulders above the rest um just be- and it was just heavy training that not a lot of females were kind of um, you know, doing at the time. It's very popular now to see females squatting, deadlifting heavy, but it wasn't like that, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think from a female perspective, like Danny Carr is probably a really good example within our yeah. generation that sort of encompasses this whole image of strength and power and that cross-transferring into a mm-hmm. physique as well. Um, and I think it's a very interesting point that you covered with regards to stage weight. Uh, I think conversely at the same time, like I do agree that definitely females should stay that little bit leaner and not have that huge chunk of weight to lose. Mm-hmm. But I think in when you compare it, like in terms of you know in in proportion to their body weight, they should probably gain a similar amount to male. Yeah, ten percent, something like that. Yeah, yeah, to a mm-hmm. degree. Um, I do agree they should stay a little bit leaner though, but. At the same time, don't get that twisted if you're a listener and try and stay too lean because that can just have as much detrimental effect in the end. Of the yeah, disastrous. By um by, by staying too close to a stage rate. I mean, obviously, mm. like um you know my my partner Danny is she competed three years back to back. I think she learned as a result of that 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 is not a good way to to, to look at competing if you're a female. I think if you're looking at getting fully stage lean should look at taking a year out in between competition years as a female just to especially if you've done a lot of shows you've had a busy season um not that it's not attainable to be able to compete year after year because i think that some people can do it if if they're very smart but if you're doing long diets and you're having to lose a decent amount of weight you're going to have to take time off otherwise you're going to experience the long-term effects of affecting things like your thyroid function your yeah. menstrual cycle mm-hmm. and then you'll realize at the end of that when you've got basically very very low levels of thyroid and you're having to battle that as a certain trying to find a solution very very difficult um yeah. and if anyone wants an insight into that uh danny did do quite a few videos on youtube documenting uh the whole process with basically having to medicate herself um and that was also after going to a coach, who I won't name, going to a coach for the start of the third season, originally wanting an off-season with that coach. 
and then that coach convinces her that it was a good idea to swear but it's not a good idea to swear um, and basically forcing a, an irresponsive body all the way to stage condition and thus ruining uh, you know, the thyroid function um, so if you're if you're a female athlete don't be afraid to like take those years out and work on getting yourself into a healthy position for breast again because ultimately like Lee said in the first episode there's nothing natural about adjustable bodybuilding no no definitely not you haven't got T3 T4 to rely on uh, when those things are very very low at the end of the prep um, so yeah that's that yeah got to let it come back to normal and one final note from me on the female athletes is I, I tell female athletes from a coaching or from a training and advice point of view, when we're talking about different disciplines in competition, bikini figure, fit body, bodybuilding, physique, whatever these things are called, but disciplines of varying levels of muscularity, I always tell females, let the division pick you. You don't pick the division that you compete in. You know, a lot of people come to me, I want to do a bikini contest now. You're going to do no good in the bikini contest. You have too much muscle. Your shoulders are too wide, you know. Or somebody will come to me and say, I want to compete in figure. No, you're a bodybuilder all day long. You know, don't, for a female athlete who's looking to get into the competitive side of the sport, be open-minded and let the division pick you. Don't try and shoehorn yourself into a particular discipline because that's the one that you think looks the nicest. Go to the one that suits your body the best. That's why here, you know, in the UK, the FBA, we have four different disciplines for females. And people don't get the correlation because we have a lot of classes for men's bodybuilding. But in actual fact, for men, we have bodybuilding and we have physique. We have two different disciplines. Four different disciplines because female body types fit into a lot more pigeonholes than men's do. So let the division pick you. Go, go, go to where you're suited. That's great advice because you see a lot of people get very emotionally attached to a class. You know, like I think even Danny was very emotionally attached to the figure when I talked to her at the beginning of 2019. Perfect example. Yeah. And I, and I, said, I remember saying to her, I was like, you're not going to be bigger at all. No. Um, and she never really was. She was always too big. Never. And she's always too muscular. And mm -hmm. I think she, she, she looked up to someone, and I remember sending a photo of her, she was mad. Won, she won DFAT Worlds in 2015. She won WMF Worlds the same year. And she kind of changed figure quite a bit because she was very big. Um, I've forgotten her name now, but she was very, very good. It was the girl who won in 15 in Atlantic City and her name escapes me now. She was, she was way too big for a figure competitor. Real deep rib cage, big, thick upper body. Oh, what's her name? It will come to me at some point, but I know exactly who you mean because we had a massive debate about that in Atlantic City in 15. And, and the simple fact of the matter was she, she won that class because of who she was on stage with, not because she perfectly fit the, fig the figure criteria. And if there had been absolute top line, you know, textbook pro figure athletes on stage with her, then, then she may not have done. But yeah, Dan I mean, Danny, Danny was the perfect example of that. Incredible structure for bodybuilding great depth to her physique, just that overall look of strength and power about her, you know, a real, a real warrior woman kind of physique, wonderful girl, 
um, great member of the team at the Worlds last year and, and bodybuilder all day long. You know, Stevie Wonder wouldn't put her in the figure class. No offence, Stevie. No offence. All right, guys. Should we should we finish up there? I think that's yeah. a point to finish on. Um, yeah. I'd like to say, as always, thank you very much to everyone that has listened. And uh, we really appreciate the shares, and the comments, and the likes, and things like that. And uh, we will probably hook one up again, hopefully, next week. Um, and, Love to. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, see where things are at. But thanks, Ben. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me on, mate. Uh, thanks, AJ, for having us on. You're a great host, and, uh, and I'm glad that it's been useful having us on. Awesome. Cheers, thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. And That's one.